Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Well, welcome to Beyond the Fence Line. And I think we have a great group of uh, gentlemen meeting us today to visit. Um, you know, it's really about that time time of year again, right? And we're right in the Texas legislature uh, in session. And, and we're gonna talk today really about Texas ag policy uh, with some really good experts. And our guests today are, you know, from our founding members. We have Caleb McLaren with uh, Texas uh, and Southwestern Cattle Raisers. Uh, we have Reagan Beck with Texas Farm Bureau, the infamous uh, David Yates with Texas Wildlife Association and uh, you know, our very own uh, tall uh, government affairs and advocacy expert, uh, Mr. Joey Park uh, with this. You know, as founding members, you know, each of your, your groups are vested interest in private property rights. And, but, but are, each of you have different approaches, right? And look at these approaches through different lenses due to your membership base. And, you know, this is, this is uh, what's great about us and us all partnering together and working well together is really a, this united front is very powerful when we go to Austin. You know, I really kind of like to go around the horn and maybe David, we'll start with you kind of from that wildlife lens. And, um, you know, really what are you looking at these, you know, uh, at, during this session on these private land policy and uh, just after, you know, maybe David, you kind of give your take, then we'll just kind of all jump in and have really good, good conversation. Yeah, sure, Chad. Uh, thanks for including TWA in the podcast. Uh, really appreciate all the work that you're doing over at TALT. Um, you know, TWA began as an advocacy group with a small organization of landowners and wildlife stewards and uh, biologists and outfitters that were really motivated by a specific issue that uh, brought into focus the uh, the nexus of wildlife management and rural property rights. Uh, Texas being a privately owned state, uh, there there's always uh, a a counterbalance in natural resource management and property rights. So fast forward. Uh, to today, 36 years later, the organization has matured and grown into, um, from a wildlife perspective at our state capitol, uh, one of, if not the leading voices uh, for uh, wildlife management and, and stewards. So that, that starts to get pretty broad and that, that encompasses appropriations and funding for uh, our state agency and Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, um, open space valuations, uh, wildlife valuations, supporting ag valuations, rural property rights like eminent domain, you know, rural property rights, landowner rights. Those are important in a state that is 90 something percent privately owned, 80% of our open spaces or 80% of our land masses is our open space, our working lands. And, you know, that's really where all of the wildlife lives. Uh, and it's you know, largely almost entirely on private, private ground, which is why those rights are so important. You start to erode property rights and you um, 
there's a direct correlation of eroding a landowner's uh, ability and um, motivation to do what's best for the land. So you know, we try to toe that line real hard. And then we get into very granular uh, wildlife issues like uh, disease management. Most recently, you know, we spent a lot of effort working on chronic wasting disease outbreak management and monitoring and, and control. Um, and gosh, hunting license issues. It, it starts to get really, really granular, but on, on a high level, we're focused on property rights and appropriations and some of those fundamental um components of wildlife stewardship that that intersect with state policy yeah thanks david and you know i think you said it well i mean from you know and, and the name of this podcast is beyond the fence line right and what's that what's that really entails it's about that private land stewardship and that public benefit you know all of those great things as you mentioned and uh what's ingrained within twa as well as you know a farm bureau and cattle raisers and and especially tall to is is that and that's the that's kind of the foundation and the backbone for all of us working together. Reagan, I'd love to hear kind of your insight for Texas Farm Bureau. I'm uh, sure I appreciate it, Chad, and, and I'm sure appreciate being on this uh, panel with these other great panelists and great organizations. Uh, but Farm Bureau is a uh, general farm organization. Uh, we've been around for um, a number of years. Um, and uh, we've actually got over 500,000 members, families in our organization. So our mission is really to be the voice of agriculture, uh, to represent all those different commodities, um, those in rural Texas. Also, and uh, just like David was talking about property rights, property rights, water rights, all those things that uh, belong to the farmers and ranchers in Texas and, and property owners. We think that that's a uh, cornerstone of our society. And that's one thing that we work hard to, to try to protect. Uh, David also mentioned eminent domain. Uh, that's gonna be a, a priority for us again. Our organizations have all worked well together to try to get that done. So we'll be working on that this uh, session as well. Um, but uh, appreciate being here and look forward to the discussion. Yeah, I appreciate you joining us, Reagan. Um, Caleb, how about uh, Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers? Well, you know, talking a little bit about our organization, we're 143 years old. Uh, here on February 15th, we'll be 144 years old. So we've been around quite a long time. And we were originally founded for one particular issue, which is cattle theft. Um, you had a bunch of cattle rustling out in the wilds of, of Texas at that particular point. You did not have law enforcement. And so you had ranchers, cattle producers who said, look, you know, we're not going to wait for someone to step in and take care of this for us. We're going to step in here and do it ourselves. Or, and I feel like that's very core to um, our organization and to our cultural identity even today is, is a bunch of folks that know how to get in there and get something done. And so that's exactly what they did. They created an organization that you could pay membership dues into and use that money to go hire their own investigators to uh, search out those cattle thieves and prosecute them. And so that's why we were founded. But when the association began to grow um, and they started to realize some of the other issues facing rural Texans and, and the cattle industry and the beef industry and ranchers, producers, 
um, the obviously the the issues that we work on expanded rapidly. And so, as I like to say, we work on any issue that affects a person's ability to raise livestock in the state of Texas. Well, when you qualify it in that way, um, that becomes pretty broad because. Yes, you to your point, Chad. Like beyond the fence line, you know the fences, the private property rights, um, those type of deal. When you talk about like tort liabilities of livestock getting out, and and you talk about cattle health and well-being and some of those issues with like, for instance, fake meat nowadays. Um, but I will tell you, we typically track between between twelve, uh, ten and twelve percent of all bills filed during a legislative session. That's kind of been our, our going rate the last couple of, of uh, sessions. And they tend to mostly revolve around the either the management of our natural resources or on property rights. And so that surely gets us into that eminent domain discussion, um, other property rights and property tax issues, but also you know curating and taking care of and being good stewards of our natural resources like the wildlife, the water, and those type of things. So when you look at our organization, um, a lot of people think we're up here working on uh, TB or brucellosis most of the time, but in all reality, we're, we're really focused and spent most of our day working on property rights and natural resources issues. Thanks for the overview, Caleb. And last but not least, Joey, kind of get us some of your insights. Well, good afternoon, Chad. Thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of this podcast. Uh, I'll have to admit this will be my very first podcast I've ever participated in. Um, I'll tell you, I've, I've, uh, just for those who are not aware of where I've come from and what I do, I've been around the Capitol for well over 30 years, started uh, cut my teeth with then controller and ultimately Lieutenant Governor uh, Bob Bullock uh, and did uh, about 10 years of legislative affairs over at the Parks and Wildlife Department. Uh, and after that became a lobbyist, uh, I've represented a variety of private property rights folks, uh, as well as natural resource uh, related <coughs> industries for uh, a number of years, um, including TWA, I'm proud to represent. I've been with TALT for many, many years, uh, going back to almost to the formation of this organization, uh, South Texan Property Rights, Coastal Conservation Association, Ducks Unlimited, variety of others over the years. Um, I'll tell you that, you know, you're, you're right. Our, our legislature is in town and we're never more vulnerable when those guys show up uh, to Austin to start uh, making sausage or making laws, however you'd like to describe it. Um, we are in a pretty unique situation these days with the pandemic that we've suffered through over the last year and continue to suffer through. We've got a pretty tight budget up at the Capitol this session. Um, and we've got an ever-growing urbanization of that legislature. The same way that TALT fights urbanization by trying to you know, protect our private lands and keep some of those people working on the lands out there, um, we are looking at a legislature that is more and more uh, ruled, when I say ruled, uh, governed by people who live in the inner cities. Uh, the number of people out in the rural communities that actually sit on the floor of the House and the Senate goes down each and every year that we have an election. Uh, and we've got another redistricting this coming uh, year. 
and, and will only suffer worse. And it's the challenge we face up there at the Capitol year after year, Chad, is to, to continue to try to educate the people who live in the cities who are, you know, who cast more votes. We, we've got more people in Harris, more elected officials out of Harris County than all west of I-35. I know everybody's heard that, but it does, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. So to, to help those people understand the value of open range, open lands, agricultural operations, the food, the fiber that's grown on the land out there, uh, getting past that, that idea that, you know, all of our, all of our meat comes from HEB and our water comes out of the faucet and our, our clothes come from Walmart. It, it's, it, it, they, there's a disconnect there and there's a disconnect at the legislature. Also, we, we have our, our work cut out for us each and every year. And this one is no different. Matter of fact, it's even a little, you know, more challenging giving the, the, the pandemic and the, the other obstacles that are set in front of us. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to, you know, getting in there and fighting, but it's going to be a different fight and a, and a different set of rules uh, than what those of us who are advocating at the Capitol are used to and have been for a long time. Yeah, Joey, I mean, I think, I think you have made some really great points. And I think one that I like to kind of build upon and um, is really looking at, right, this today, this COVID era, right? We, we're gonna have to look at this, this session is gonna be handled different than it always, you know, has in the past. What does that look like, um, you know, as we go into this succession and how do we kind of guide ourselves, you know, through these issues? Well, are you, with regards to access to the capital and the capital process as we normally understand it, uh, it's still evolving. Uh, the Senate has, has some guidelines. The House has their guidelines. They're not necessarily the same, uh, but an individual walking into that building today is going to have to be tested and have a positive, not a positive, I'm sorry, a negative uh, COVID test before they're allowed in the building. Uh, the, the, the committees and how they conduct business is going to look a lot different. The, the dais full of members uh, is not going to be something we're seeing. Those people are going to be allowed to monitor those committees and those uh, the, the process uh, from outside of those rooms. They'll have a chair and another committee member in most cases. But uh, so that interaction that we've always had between the committee and the testimony that's being given by the public or our associations is just, it's going to look a lot different. And uh, it's going to look different to them too. Uh, I would say, Fortunately, and I hope we'll, we'll, it'll yet to be seen, I don't think they're going to as pass as many pieces of legislation as we normally see a, a, a session. Um, I hope so, because without our ability to get in and, and affect that process and be a part of the discussion, uh, you know, you're, you're setting up a case where things can get done poorly. Uh, we've, we've watched it and seen it done before when they get in a hurry a lot of times things don't get done exactly the way uh, those of us who it affects uh, need it to be done. And, and for those, again, going back to that, that, that disconnect between the public, I mean, I'm sorry, between the urban areas and the rural landscape, you know, if we're not there to make sure they understand that if they change one little law that may affect how, you know, 1D1 uh, wildlife or agricultural valuations occur, 
could have a ripple effect that would devastate the rural economy out there. So we're there's a there's a ton of things going on, and we're just we're not sure, but we're kind of easing into it. I hope as more and more people get vaccinated, Chad, uh, I think we'll start seeing a looser uh, capital, so to speak. I think we'll start seeing more people interacting in and out, uh, and I think you know if we continue at the same trend, uh, by the time we get to April. And, and definitely by May, uh, we'll see something a lot more looking like a lot more like what we we're used to seeing. Definitely not with the greatest numbers, but you know, with that interaction and the ability to to, to get in there uh, as as those members of the legislature uh, get a little more comfortable with that process as well. I appreciate that insight, Joey. Uh, um, you know, it definitely looks like it's going to be a little different, but, you know, I know we'll kind of work our way through and everybody's kind of worked their way through. I think it's going to be incumbent upon our members uh, and our, our, our leaders of these organizations to communicate via the phone, text messages, the way that, you know, any way we can communicate with them now. We can't leave anything on the table today just hoping we'll get in to talk to them. Uh, we've got to pick up the telephone. We've got to be prepared to submit written testimony where uh, public testimony is not going to be allowed. We're going to be have to be ready to to cover these people up with a different uh, type of information than what we've done in the past. We're not going to be able to jump out from behind the post and grab these people as they go to lunch or go to the go to the bathroom. So it's it's going to be a different a different tact. Right. Yeah. I I think. Um you know, technology and especially technology communication kind of efforts are, are, are definitely seeing the same thing. I mean, I, you know, from, from my, my aspect, especially from a Washington DC level, you know, in that piece is, you know, it seems like a lot of the folks are, are able to kind of get as many meetings as they can through Zoom and things of that nature and still kind of getting business and, and starting the conversation in some sense is, is helping in some sense is kind of hindering at, at the same time. And I think it's just all of us working through that process. You know, when we kind of think about the, the, the session, you know, one of the, you know, arguably probably one of the biggest, um, most important things is really passing the state budget. And, um, the, you know, and this is kind of one of those important things that legislation does each, each session. Um, you know, how is this really, process really shaping up this year in the terms of the ag issues you know Caleb maybe kind of give some insight from TSCRA yes sir and you know I think it's important to note that that's the only thing the legislature has to do um, and and that was one of the concerns coming in is there's a lot of policy issues affecting you know rural Texas and our rural and open spaces which as we all know through the the stewardship of natural resources and the ability to raise livestock and crops um, is incredibly important to those to everyone, especially those urban suburban areas. And there's a lot of issues um, facing those areas of our state that we just hope can be addressed uh, in the Texas legislative session. But we do know that if not anything else, that they're going to try to get through a budget. Now, it's interesting to note that we have a, a budget that's being proposed. And I know we don't have that filed on the House side yet, uh, but the Senate's proposed a budget that's, you know, I, I, someone correct me here if I'm wrong, but I wanna say about $6 billion over the comptroller's estimates. And so what does that mean for us? That means there's gonna be a lot of budgetary cuts made during this legislative session. And kind of speaking to, you know, COVID and some of these things that Joey's hit on before, 
Um, you know, the budget writing process is incredibly tedious. It's very time consuming. It's a lot of hours take receive, you know, listening to testimony uh, by legislators in these committee rooms and, and different things. And so how are we able to get up there and advocate on some of those important budgetary items um, that are so beneficial to rural Texans and our open spaces? Uh, well, we were sitting there right outside the door. So as soon as they came out for a bathroom break or get a fresh cup of coffee, um, we were able to grab a few minutes of their time and, and kind of talk through some of those issues. And that's something that is different this legislative session. Um, and so that's something to keep in mind is as we go through that and they have to do some drastic cuts through this budgetary process is how do we be innovative and find the time um, to have those meaningful conversations and engage with those members. And I know that's something that, that we've been struggling with, but we've also found a lot of opportunities uh, here at Cattle Raisers. Um, you know, just finding out what the different offices are comfortable with meeting wise. Some of them, as you mentioned, Chad, um, they, they're, they wanna get on Zoom and they wanna have a, a quick meeting real quick. And quite frankly, those offices are probably able to knock out more meetings than they traditionally could have. Um, and so you're just going like one to the other to the other. Now you don't get that in-person connection that you typically would, um, but there's certainly offices that are doing that. It's not ideal to be able to meet in the Capitol, but some are willing to come outside of the Capitol and find a space outside to meet. Um, and so that's another thing that, you know, in a COVID environment, figuring out what each office is comfortable with, um, how to best engage with that member and that staff in order to work and advocate on those issues that are incredibly important. Thanks, Caleb. I appreciate that insight. Reagan, love to hear kind of your approach at Texas Farm Bureau. Well, Chad, um, I guess we see the same things that uh, Caleb's seen. I mean, um, we did see that um, the comptroller had a much larger budget shortfall in the summer, uh, 4.6 billion. And then here more recently, it's more like 1 billion. So hopefully that'll be helpful uh, in going through this. Um, I think one thing I'd mentioned as far as the budget, one thing that we're working on is on feral hogs. On uh, feral hogs, there's a, um, a hog toxicant that's been approved on the uh, federal level uh, using a warfarin-based uh, toxicant. And uh, we see such damage from feral hogs every year. Uh, we'd like to have that tool to be able to go on and use that on hogs um, to, just because they're, they're out of control. Uh, all of the methods we're using now are falling short of getting that done. The, uh, the problem is though, uh, in 2017, there was a budget writer put in that actually prohibits TDA and A&M from uh, using any funds on this toxicant, even though it's already approved at the uh, federal level. So that's one particular issue that we'll be working on in the budget to try to remove those riders so we can go on and get that toxicant approved in Texas and allow property owners to be able to use that tool if they want to to try to help control some of those feral hogs. Yeah, thanks Reagan on that. David, anything from your end from TWA? You know, from the initial budget that, that we've seen, you know, the, the largest impact is on Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Uh, last session, we worked with a very large coalition of like-minded outfits 
including some folks on this call, uh, to get across a constitutional dedication of the sporting goods sales tax to fund the state park system. You know, that state park system was built in the 30s and the 70s. They're getting loved to death. And now in this COVID era, we're seeing skyrocketing demand for access to the outdoors. Uh, so we've been really worried or focused uh, rather on that funding staying intact. In, intact. There's a close to a billion dollars of deferred maintenance in the existing state park system, not to mention new park development that needs to be done that's on the shelf and in the pipeline. So, you know, as of now, the, the budget proposal is, is favorable to the department. Uh, it's left that dedicated funding intact, uh, did not act, you know, try to claw that back through some two thirds votes. And anyway, so on that front, it, uh, we're, we're happy and, and look forward to trying to stave that off. You know, uh, Reagan mentioned the feral hog toxicant. It's a warfarin based uh, toxicant and, you know, Texas Farm Bureau and Texas Wildlife Association, we find ourselves on the same page awful lot. And I agree that the feral hog problem is, is a very real one. Uh, we do have a difference of opinion on the, uh, or the, the value that warfarin-based toxicant would bring to the landowner. Uh, but that's a good example of uh, good friends being able to sit down and, and talk through some differences and try to find uh, some you know, common ground. Um, I did want to say one thing when we're talking about access to the capital and access to the legislators, I have found that those legislators are just as eager to hear from stakeholders and groups like ours and their constituencies as we are to talk to them. You know, they're the vast majority of them, you know, they're, they're or all of them I'd, I'd like to think are, are good people with their hearts in the right place, trying to do the right thing for Texas. And they all know that they need to hear from the, the different um, policy experts and, and stakeholders and affected constituencies. And uh, up until now, and, and I, I predict it will stay intact as the session moves on, those legislators, they they like company just as much as we do. They're people too, and, and they've got a job to do, and they, they want to hear from us. And I've found up until now, everyone to be very eager to engage in, in whatever way, be it by Zoom or in person. Uh, but I guess I just want to drive home that point. They want to hear from us as much as we want to talk to them. Yeah, I agree. I've had the same um, kind of interactions, David, as well. And I think that's one of the advantages of the Zoom, kind of Caleb talking about it as well, is, you know, it's good access to them and, and they can listen to more folks out, you know, on the ground and in, in, in their uh, areas. And it's it's been very effective um, from that perspective. You know, kind of, you know, one of these other areas that we, we have in the session is really kind of the sunset piece, right, and uh, process. And, you know, this year we have Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and Texas Animal Health Commission and the Texas Department of Agriculture that are all going through this Senate process again. You know, and I'd kind of, you know, like maybe David, you tackle it first of, you know, for our listeners, you know, what is, you know, this process and, 
and uh, let's talk more about how we engage and the importance of, of uh, these three groups that are up, up on the sunset. Yeah, I'm not sure I've got uh, any more expertise or probably less than, than the other participants on this, on this call, but on a basic level, the sunset process is a rolling 12 year audit of all of the state agencies uh, under the executive branch of the Texas government. Um, each legislative session every two years, there's a bucket of those agencies that goes through a 18 month audit by a sunset commission. These are paid staffers or analysts, um, uh, accountants, and they go out and spend a lot of time on the ground with staff members of these agencies. Um, they produce a report that goes to the Sunset Commission itself, which is five House members, five Senate members, uh, and one public member from each on each side appointed by the Speaker of the House and, and the Lieutenant Governor on the Senate side. And then that group takes public testimony. They review the, uh, the report. They publish a report and members of that commission carry bills for each of those agencies. And it becomes a regular bill that goes through the entire legislative process. And that bill effectively renews the charter for those agencies. If the audit team finds that the agency isn't really doing anything helpful anymore, or it makes sense for it to be folded into another agency, or there's, a, there's efficiency gains uh, through that process, if the legislature does not renew the charter, so to speak, that agency goes away. I, I'm not losing sleep at night that the Animal Health Commission, the Department of Agriculture, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department are going to go away. Um, but you know, certainly we wanna focus on those agencies as they move through the process because as the entire book of rules for an agency goes through the process, there's a lot of opportunity for members of the legislature to tweak uh, those those charters, so to speak. And and uh, you know it's a it's a vulnerable place and it takes a lot of attention. Yeah, thanks, David, for kind of sharing that process and, and how it works. Um, Joey, you know, kind of like to hear from you, your, your aspect, um, you know, to add a little bit to that. Of course. Um, today, Representative Syria, Chairman Syria, Chairman of the Sunset Commission, filed House Bill 1615, which is the Parks and Wildlife Sunset Bill. Um, I looked at that bill, read through it today, and I, I'll tell you, uh, uh, it's 10 pages long. That's not very many pages for an agency of nearly 4,000 people uh, who have uh, their fingers into virtually every regulation that touches the land out there some way, somehow. Uh, that's really remarkable. And it's a testament to the quality of the, the, the agency that they're running out there. They run a, they run a good shop and, and they're doing a good job with what they do. I can tell you that in 2001, when I worked at Parks and Wildlife, we went through sunset 
Uh, at one point, our sunset bill was 50 pages long. Uh, I don't know what it ultimately ended up being, but we're like carrying the, the budget around trying to talk to members about that bill. So you've got a, you've got a, a sunset report and a bill for, for Parks and Wildlife, because that's the only one that's been filed that I could speak to yet that, you know, is pretty streamlined. It's pretty good. There's not a ton of changes that they are recommending uh, to that agency, you know, that are, that are draconian or, or change the, the scope of that agency in, in many ways. And the, re the sunset report on Animal Health Commission was very similar. You know, they go in and they find some little places to tweak some, some give them some ways to be uh, a little more uh, streamlined or a little more efficient. Uh, but in, with regard to changing the grand scope of work, and for instance, those two agencies work together, Parks and Wildlife and Animal Health Commission, on a couple of different issues. Those, those uh, issues where they work together were uh, qualified or, you know, uh, endorsed by the Sunset Commission as a, a very effective way to get those things done. So that's good that they, you know, uh, it, Sunset, you know, found that to be a good source and a good way for two agencies to work together, uh, working on a uh, on a particular issue. So, you know, we don't want to we don't want to see some of those things change that are that are currently working good. Um, as David said, you know, a, a sunset bill kind of lays open uh, an agency uh, everything that they do to change or amendments or scrutiny. Um, we hope that that won't be the case this session. Uh, the Animal Health Commission is doing a great job with the resources they have and the people that they have on the ground. Uh, Parks and Wildlife is doing a great job where they are and, and Texas Department of Agriculture uh, as well. You know, we all have great jobs to do and they're getting them done. Um, so I would say, in, you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll see the rest of these sunset bills hit uh, both on the House and Senate side. Um, and they'll, you know, they'll work their way through the process, as David indicated, uh, just like any other piece of legislation. And it's an opportunity for those of us like TALP, where we've got a program that works inside of Parks and Wildlife, for us to make a point of how uh, well that partnership works. I, uh, we, um, you know, we're, if, if we're happy with the way that's working, which I think we are, then, you know, that's an opportunity for us to, you know, go to the legislature and say, this is working. It gives us a chance to go in and say, this is a good program. We like what it's doing. Uh, don't mess with it. And matter of fact, give us some more money. <laughs> so, but Sunset doesn't deal with budget. But anyway, it's a great place to highlight the programs that we work with. You know, yeah. Whether it, you know, it, it, the public hunting, I mean, the, the youth hunting program and the things like that, that uh, Texas Wildlife Association does in joint uh, efforts with Parks and Wildlife. It's a great place to highlight those things. So we're, uh, we're, we're happy with the way the process has gone so far. And I hope that it will continue at that same same level. Yep. Thanks, Joey. Um, Caleb or Reagan, anything else to add? No, I think I can just reiterate a lot of what uh, David and, and Joey have said thus far. But, you know, I know that's always a concern, right, is so far only a handful of legislators have had their hands on that sunset process. And so now you're fixing to present that theoretically if all the rest of these sunset bills get filed, um, present that to the full body of the legislature. And in a, 
a constrained session in terms of budget, in terms of time. Uh, when you look at bills that people are trying to get passed and it can potentially a condensed time frame, um, limiting the potentially limiting the number of pieces of legislation that can get um, filed. You know, I know that's one of the things that that we remain concerned and vigilant over is uh, is those bills as they go through that process because of how germane they are to other issues. And so that's something that, you know, so far, um, you know, when you look at TDA, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, at Texas Animal Health Commission, um, the recommendations from the Sunset Commission, I think, and, and I can speak for cattle raisers here, um, we've been very pleased um, and enjoyed working with Sunset Commission through those processes, uh, getting up to this point, um, have been happy where things have gone, um, but it's, it's just important, um, I think, especially this session over, maybe some in the past, to just stay vigilant as they move through the process and make sure that there's not unintended consequences on amendments uh, or different things that may get tacked onto those bills as they move forward. And with that, I'll also mention, and this is somewhat speculatory at this point, so um, you know, I could be proved wrong probably here shortly, but I do know some of the other agencies are somewhat anxious about whether their sunset bill will get filed. Um, as Joey mentioned, you have a TPWD one filed, so it's out there. Um, it's a short bill, that's good, but perhaps on some of the other agencies, if they are longer, are is the legislature going to choose to go ahead and get that filed, or will they just file something uh, continuing those for the next two years um, in fear of how germane those could be and, and what a vehicle it could be for many other pieces of legislation. And so that's something that I know us at Cattle Raisers will um, be real concerned with and looking at moving forward. And Chad, um, I really don't have anything to add. I think it's been covered very well. I will just say though, as an interesting process in the interim, when they're trying to have the, uh, the sunset hearings, the interim hearings, it was so delayed and, and it, it really took a while to, to go through it because of COVID. Uh, COVID affected everything, how they were gonna be in person or not. And sort of a precursor to the um, actual session itself, uh, having those hearings and then how we're gonna actually conduct the session. So um, it's very important. Uh, and like everybody says, as, as far as we've seen so far, no major changes, they don't look bad, uh, but we do need to get the legislation for the other two committees and see how that works out and uh, be very vigilant about it. Yeah, thanks, Reagan. You know, I kind of really like to shift the, the conversation in, in um, a little bit and, and really talk about, you know, something that's high on all of our list and has been for many years, and that's the eminent domain, right? And it's, uh, you know, it's a personal one for me. My family's had to deal with that over the years, and, and you know, it's a it's definitely hinders, you know, and, and takes part of that property rights and some of those pieces. And, you know, I already know, you know, there's been at least one bill filed on this subject already with House Bill 901. You know, I'm hearing um, others that are in the works now. So let's, you know, really kind of dive in um, and, and understand the history and, and where this path forward is, and, and, you know, especially during this session. Um, and, and love to hear that. Reagan, you know, I'd love to hear from, from your side and, and what Texas Farm Bureau is looking at. And uh, thank you very much. And this is uh, one of our top priorities. I'll just have to say uh, from a historical perspective, all of our groups on this call 
have worked very closely to try to get this done. And um, I think our purpose is not to stop eminent domain or stop progress in our state because we know we're growing. We know we've got a lot of oil and gas industry we have to uh, allow to continue, but we just want to make it a fair process. We want to do those things that help the property owners so that they understand it. It's transparent. They, uh, they're given a fair shake and they're given a fair shake up front. And so I think that's what we've always been working for all along. Um, it's been a difficult process because um, on the other side, you have some very powerful forces that uh, like the way eminent domain is right now. They really don't want any changes to it. And so that's what we've been up against. But um, like I say, we worked together in past sessions. We're working together this session. Uh, Dwayne Burns filed a House Bill 901. And uh, we look at that as the, uh, the bill that's gonna go forward uh, with eminent domain. Uh, and in fact, what it has in it are the items that we negotiated last session uh, when all of our groups were working on it uh, with the other side uh, and they agreed to them. So we wanna pick up where we, uh, where we stopped and carry on. Um, I'll also mention that he filed House Bill 902. House Bill 902 is actually the bill from the other side, from the um, Coalition for Critical Infrastructure, and it just has their provisions. Um, I don't look forward to seeing that bill move forward, but maybe there's some things in there that we can take out and put in uh, House Bill 901 as we go forward uh, to, to try to help our property owners. But the basics of it are uh, to have a, uh, easement terms that are up front, to have a fair value up front. And um, again, just be transparent for our folks so they know what's going on. Thanks, Reagan. David, what about from T TWA's view? Well, Reagan summarized the history well and, and the current state of affairs on uh, the bills that Representative Burns has filed. There are uh, a handful of other bills that have been filed by other members of the legislature. Uh, we expect to see uh, that number to continue to increase. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is our state legislature is focused on this issue. Uh, collectively, Farm Bureau and Cattle Raisers and TWA and, and uh, you know, along the way, we've picked up other friends and supporters and, and you know, there is a strong voice pushing for reform on this front uh, for private industry specifically. The legislature in Texas is uh, you know, predominantly Republican. Uh, when you take property rights and conflict them uh, in their minds with uh, economic progress and prosperity, it makes them very uncomfortable. Uh, so, and, and understandably, basically they have to pick between uh, different supporters uh, to their, you know, their common uh, kind of party identity. Uh, and, and the same goes for some Democrats as well. Nonetheless, it, it puts our legislature in a hard spot. Uh, so that, that drives the need for negotiation between oil and gas production companies, uh, midstream transportation companies, and 
landowner interests. So, you know, I, I, I don't think we'll ever get, um, we're not going to be able to just write the bill out of whole cloth to completely, uh, you know, drive the landowner perspective. In order for something to get through the legislature, it's going to have to be negotiated with representatives of the energy transportation business, which we have done uh, at great length last session. Um, a bill passed out of the Senate. That bill uh, went over to the House and continued to get whittled on. That Senate bill was heavily negotiated. It got whittled on more and more and more uh, until really the 11th hour. Uh, there was a motion on the House floor to instruct the conference committee to adopt the Senate version, not the negotiated House version, but the stronger Senate version. That motion passed the House floor. And that tells me that the desire is in the legislature to pass meaningful reform. So we're optimistic. Uh, we're going to continue pushing hard and trying to do the right thing and get the best deal uh, available for, for landowners. So I got on my soapbox a little yeah. bit there, Chad. Uh, Sorry. Good. No, that's good. No, I appreciate that, David, and the insight and kind of thoughts. Caleb, anything from TSCRA? <laughs> Yes, sir. And Chad, if you can't tell, um, this is a very passionate issue for yes. all of us. Um, it's easy for all of us to get on our soapbox because there's, you know, I know at Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association, we have these meetings we call ranch gatherings. Um, and, and pre COVID, we would have 40 to 50 of those a year. And we would go and give a legislative update and there would be a group of people waiting for you to get off stage to talk to you. And, uh, and every one of them had an issue with the condemnation process. And I think it's important to note that, you know, you, just like Reagan mentioned, we're not trying to do away with, with the eminent domain uh, process. We're not trying to do away with condemnation. We're not trying to reduce revenue to the state. We're not trying to infringe on the oil and gas industry or the electric industry in any way. Um, we just merely want some fair practices put in place to protect property owners um, when these companies come across their, their place. And it's important to note uh, that the, the reforms that we have been working on have all been related to privately owned companies, for-profit businesses, not public entities like TxDOT or counties or anything like that. It is for-profit businesses. And the reason being is because that line of people that would be waiting for me at the end of a, a ranch gathering were all had issues with the condemnation process um, that these private companies were were utilizing. And so we recognize that they need that power. It is an awesome power to grant them. But in doing so, you know, we just request three little bitty things in the grand scope of it. Um, we ask that, hey, we, we get a fair market offer, um, something that's the fair market price of the, the easement that you want to acquire. We, we ask that there's minimum easement terms. And the way I, I explain that to people, in short, we ask that you put things back the way you found it when you showed up on our place. And then thirdly, I know one of the things that we've long advocated for was a public meeting which is largely already adopted by the public entities um, when they go and, and do some of these projects. And so we're not asking for that much at the grand scheme of thing. And again, we recognize that some of those private entities don't want to change 
at all from what they're currently doing. Um, I understand that, but I do think uh, it's a good sign that they actually work throughout the interim to try to come up with some changes um, and which got filed in House Bill 902. And they recognize that, hey, the way our private companies are utilizing this process isn't it isn't acceptable anymore. And they recognize that they have issues in the way they utilize that. And they admit themselves that there are some things that need to change in order to fix that. Uh, obviously, we think they may think it needs to be changed in one way and we may think it needs to be changed in another way. But I do think it's a, it's a positive note that they admit that there are some changes that need to be implemented within that process. And so as Yates mentioned, you know, we've, we've negotiated for the last several years. We spent a lot of time last session uh, negotiating on those three items uh, that we would like to see in, included in a bill. And, uh, and so we are working with industry. We spent a lot of hours and a lot of time and put in a lot of effort working with them to, to take into their concerns into consideration while ensuring that property owners get a fair shake in this process. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, where where the abuse exists or where the highest occurrence exists is when a private for-profit company is using the power of the state to take property away from landowners. If they are afforded that power of the state, the very minimum that they, they can do is be held to the same standards as the state itself when it exercises eminent domain. And that at a, at a very high level is, is what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think those are really great points. Um, Joe, anything else to add from? Yeah, Chad, thank you. Um, you know, it's been more than 10 years since there's been any meaningful uh, reform in eminent domain laws. Uh, they, they've nibbled around the edges over the years, but there hasn't been anything structurally changing to that, that process in more than 10 years. And if you think about the last 10 years and the way the industry has evolved, the, the, the fracking and the opening of these, the, 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 the Permian, Barnett, uh, and the, the South Texas fields, the amount of oil that's flowing across this state and as it has increased over the 10 years, but you couple that with land fragmentation and you know the way our landscape is changing out there. When those pipelines years ago used to go across big, big, big ranches, you know, they, they were doing them a favor, cutting a sendero. You know, it wasn't this, this um, you know, land altering process. But when a pipeline comes across a 500 acre piece of property and splits it right down the middle, uh, you, you can sometimes end up with a huge impact. And, and as we have smaller and smaller parcels of land out there, people are trying to get out there and preserve their little slice of heaven. And it's being, you know, cut in half or we're seeing a, a high wires strung all the way across that thing, it has a detrimental impact. And the industry is still operating like it's, you know, you know 20 years ago. Um, and so, and, and they like that. They wrote the laws, you know, years and years and years ago. So the, the laws that are on the books clearly are in favor of the, the condemnors out there. So, 
um, you know, we've got we've got some balancing to do here. Uh, or I think the legislature has got some balancing to do to put the, the landowner back on an equal footing with those who are coming in to take the land because they're 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 being, you know, uh, you know, overrun by big oil, big pipes with bottomless pockets. And oftentimes the, the landowner is forced to just acquiesce and, and give them a key to the fence, give them a key to the gate and get out of the way and, and are left to deal with what's left over. So I think it's, you know, important that, you know, all of these things be put back into check. And like David, Caleb, Reagan said, we've got, we've got some things on the table here that are not that detrimental to the industry. Uh, they, they're, they're good business practices. And in most cases, some of the things that we're asking for uh, are, you know, already very achievable with a phone call or a letter from a, from an attorney, but they're not going to give you anything that's not required by law at all. So. Yeah. There's one thing to, you know, from this conversation is, you know, hearing the passion and hearing you guys, you know, really out there thinking through that producer lens and that landowner lens. And, you know, it definitely shows the value of being a member of all the, all of your organizations and appreciate y'all's hard work and looking at it, you know, just for the, you know, like I say, the last few minutes on this, on this conversation we have today, um, you know, we've really been kind of talking about these property rights and we've been focused on that, but, you know, there's plenty of more issues um, that impact rural Texas and especially our landowners also, um, you know, we've seen rural health care and rural uh, broadband. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's other issues out there. Maybe just kind of go around of what else is out there that you guys are looking at and um, how are you addressing some of these? Reagan, uh, you want to start us off? Absolutely. And I appreciate you uh, giving us that opportunity uh, to talk about some other issues. One I would mention is groundwater. Uh, there's a um, Senator Perry and Representative Harris uh, both have companion bills on groundwater and groundwater districts. Um, you know, we, we see some uh, things going on out there that are frankly taking away property rights from property owners when they take that water. And uh, these bills are gonna provide some more transparency and uh, try to help folks be able to go on and change the rules in those groundwater districts and then if they do need to litigate, not being held to paying the other side's um, uh, legal fees. So uh, we really appreciate them for uh, their leadership in carrying those bills. But uh, that's another important issue this, this time that we're working on is just groundwater conservation districts and how their rules are fair and not taking away property rights from individuals. Great, Caleb, what about TSCRA? I may have mentioned this briefly earlier, but um, obviously eminent domain being one, Chad, you hit it. Uh, broadband is another big priority for all of rural Texas. That's something that I feel like the entire legislative body is really rallying behind when you see uh, the, the dire need, especially in our rural communities um, when it comes to access to good quality broadband. Um, when you look at additional issues, I know we talked sunset earlier in this conversation and, and there was a couple of issues actually identified through that sunset review process when it relates to um, animal agriculture specifically exporting American origin livestock into Mexico through some export pens um, and some potential 
threats of spreading diseases um, when some of those animals are rejected from Mexico for the presence of pests or diseases and then remain in the state of Texas without getting notification to our animal health officials to address those issues. And so I know that's going to be one thing that, that we're focused on as well as um, the Farm Animal Liability Act. There was a court case recently that said that that act that protects um, from protects from tort liability, uh, people at you know livestock shows and rodeos, if someone gets injured because of the actions of an animal, um, that that does not apply in ranching operations. And so that's something that that is concerning to our organization that we'll be uh, continuing to work on. And then a big issue this session is is taxes and specifically property taxes. And so we've seen a lot of tax type bills, a lot of property tax bills, and. And as we all know, um, you know, protecting our open space and ag valuations is critically important for our collective industries to continue to, to be here and to be prosperous in the state of Texas. And so um, we've, we've spent a, a significant amount of time on that. And, and uh, lastly, I, I'll mention just the fake meat issue. I know that's something that's been real important uh, for us at Cattle Raisers. When you look at the labeling of those products, whether that be a, a plant-based protein or something synthetically engineered in a petri dish in a lab somewhere by someone in a white coat, um, regardless of those product, which of those products you're referring to, the the public needs to be aware of what they're purchasing on the store shelves, and that's something that unfortunately isn't really clear um, this day and age. And so you have folks that that's not fully aware of what they're buying and the nutritious value of those products. And we're completely for um, a little bit of competition, right? Like we've been, the cattle raiser has been around for 143 years. We've been raising beef in the state of Texas for quite a bit longer than that. Uh, we know we have a good, high quality, safe product that people love and enjoy. So we're not scared of soy burgers. Let me be real clear and have that on the record. Um, however, we don't want some of these products um, to be using the good name and the high quality reputation that our industry has built over centuries um, to market their own products. When consumers who may not can tell the difference, you know, partake in some of those products and are either let down or if there's health complications later, uh, that could be detrimental to the entire beef industry, but it was something introduced by either lab grown meat or a plant-based product. And so we just firmly believe that, hey, we're not scared of your competition. Just if you're really proud of that product you produce, label it so people can identify it and buy it if they so choose. And so those are just kind of top level priority items that we'll be working on this session. Uh, that's great, Caleb. And you kind of get me on my soapbox on some of those as well. And, you know, we don't, we don't really, you know, I think some of it's just education and outreach back to the public, right? Of all these other benefits of grazing, you know, what it means from, um, you know, uh, just open space and, and clean water and, and upcycling, right? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of countries, especially when we look at Texas and as David had mentioned, you know, we're, we got 80% of Texas's working lands um, and that grazing and those animals not only provide us a, a great, uh, you know, red protein and, and help keep our families uh, healthy from that end, but it keeps keeps Texas healthy um, and those natural resources as well. David, I'd love, love to hear from TWA Insight. Well, <clears throat> personally, I'm so um, 
enthusiastic after listening to Caleb's uh, sermon. I'm, I'm probably going to be working on fake meat also, just completely independently. Um, you know, Sunset, Eminent Domain, um, th those are our highest priorities. Certainly the, the groundwater issue that Reagan mentioned, open space valuations, those app, uh, open space valuation property uh, property tax implications for ad valorem taxes, that those are, are high level focuses of ours. There's a few more granular bills uh, regarding TCQ permitting process with uh, wastewater discharge into uh, freshwater flows, that those types of things. Um, my highest priority, uh, separate and apart from those, there was a bill filed in the Oklahoma legislature establishing a Bigfoot hunting season. And we want to make sure that no such bill is filed here uh, in the great state of Texas. So that will have a great deal of my focus, no doubt. <laughs> and I'm sure Yates, it's because we, we don't, we want open season on Bigfoot, right? Like we, we don't want to be constrained to just a couple of months out of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, no comment. But do you need a hunting license? Yes. Yeah, we need to sell as many hunting licenses as we can. Joey, anything on your end? Well, I'm going going last in this this group here. They don't leave much meat on the bone, so to speak, when it's over. I'll tell you, Chad, from Toff's perspective, we're always watching out for those uh, pieces of legislation that might erode a landowner's ability to, uh, to acquire a conservation easement or affect how those easements are, are put in place or treated. Uh, I'll tell you, in recent sessions, we've seen fewer and fewer of them. Uh, in the past, we've had you know, some folks who didn't like that process and tried to change it at the legislative level. I'll tell you, it's just something we're gonna keep our eyes out. I would love to come back here in May and tell you there was not a single bill filed that would have affected a private landowner's ability to, to donate, sell, acquire, whatever, a conservation easement on their property. Uh, a lot of times those folks at the building uh, there in Austin just don't get it. They don't understand the process and they, they, they get a knee-jerk reaction to, to what it is TALT does and, and, and the benefit that that provides. So I'm hoping not to see any of those, but I'll tell you, we'll be on the lookout for them. And as always, like they've said, you know, we're watching the, the tax bills. Um, we've, we've seen and heard some rumblings about appraisers who are not happy with, you know, uh, open space valuations and how those are uh, qualified. And, and they'd like to make some changes when in fact they should just look inward at their own rules, not at the legislature. So make sure that they don't, they don't affect everybody by, you know, one person's wild idea. So. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Joey. And um, well, I just want to thank all of you actually for joining uh, today and taking time and having this conversation and, you know, more importantly from Tall's perspective, just really want to thank, you know, each of you being our founding, you know, our founding, uh, you know, organizations of, of standing up tall, you know, um, for us, just trying to keep working lands working and, and keeping those legacies intact and being a resource for, you know, each of your organizations and all of Texans and, and landowners. And, and, you know, and it's exciting times, I think, you know, when we kind of come and look at the space and 
you know, even look at new administration change and what's going to come about, you know, even from a, from a national perspective. I think there's a lot of opportunities for us from TALT and, you know, all four organizations to work for, you know, further together, um, you know, looking beyond, just beyond the easement too. I mean, that's our bread and butter, but looking at these ecosystem service markets where we can find financial incentives to come back and help, uh, you know, help keep our, our, uh, our working spaces uh, working. So again, appreciate all of you joining. Um, you know, lastly, I just want to kind of flag that each of your organizations have, you know, podcasts and you're providing all this information constantly. And, you know, it's a great way for folks to stay up to speed on what's happening in Austin. So we'll be sure to tag, you know, those in our show notes on this podcast. And we'll also kind of keep sharing to our listeners to, to keep uh, in contact to your resources. So again, thanks for joining and hope everybody can join us uh, next month while we kind of further this policy talk. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.